This episode is brought to you by Merrick Pet Care. We have a dog. Her name is Sasha. She's almost four. She's a standard poodle. She's got curly, fluffy, soft black hair, and she's very adorable. And she's a part of our family, and we care a lot about taking good care of her. And that includes feeding her high-quality dog food like Merrick's. Founded in Hereford, Texas, Merrick has been crafting high-quality dog food for over 30 years. Real is Merrick's recipe. They always use deboned meat, fish, or poultry as the number one ingredient. Merrick creates homestyle recipes like Real Texas Beef and Sweet Potato or Grammy's Pot Pie, so you can feel good about what you're feeding your pet. I mean, you know, you come home from being out, and your dog is there to greet you, and, like, that's one of the best things about having a pet, you know? You come home, the dog's happy to see you, and they're hungry. And you want to reciprocate that good feeling they give you. When you walk in the door, you want to give to them in the form of some high-quality food. So check out Merrick online or in your local pet store and look for their new packaging with real ingredients shown on the bag and inside it. Hi, my name is Anna, and I'm from Tucson, Arizona. And this year, I vow to eat more foods made in the microwave. Why? Because for part of my life, I've been microwave phobic, and I just realized how silly that was and, you know, realized that it's a very useful tool. So I bought some cookware specifically for the microwave, and so far I've made a yummy chocolate chip cookie cake in three minutes. I made some delicious scrambled eggs that took less than two minutes, and next up is the peanut butter chocolate lava cake, and it's only going to take me 13 minutes. Happy New Year! Hi, Sporkful. My name is Holly. I'm from Utah. In the new year, I resolved to eat more slow-cooked meals. I really am committed to finding some slow-cooked meals to make it easier to cook for my family, but ones that are good and make good leftovers. This is Jerry Espinoza in Topeka, Kansas. In the coming year, I resolved to eat more artichokes. Lately, I've come across uh, recipes which uh, artichokes are used for something other than a fatty dip. And incidentally, uh, that would remind me of sharing a steamed artichoke with a lovely young lady back in 1987. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. And we have come to the end of another year, my friends. It is time for the Sporkful New Year's Resolution Year-End Spectacular episode. This is when we typically slow it down a little bit, take our time, enjoy ourselves. Okay, there's no rush. All right, we got we got all we got all year. Ha. Thanks for those resolutions. We'll have more shortly. Anna in Tucson using the microwave. That's a good move. I'm all for microwave. I, I'm a big fan of microbursts with the microwave. I will often use the microwave in like six to eight second increments just to take the chill off something. I'll microwave leftover salad. It sounds crazy. I understand it sounds crazy. Like seven seconds. Just because you don't want it ice cold right out of the fridge. Okay, just just take that chill off. So I'm all for the microwave. Now, later in the show, I'm going to grade myself on this past year's New Year's food resolution, and I will reveal the food that I resolved to eat more of in 2023 And of course, we'll also replay one of our favorite episodes from the year. Sporkful team and I, we get together, we pick one of our, it's not necessarily the one that maybe got the most attention. It's what we think of as like a hidden gem episode. So we will get to that. But before that happens, let's hear a few more of your New Year's food resolutions. Hello, my name's Aim. I live in Paris, France. So I've had a couple of major changes since September. My second child went off to university following my illness. 
They also decided to separate from my husband of 22 years. It's no longer making sense and I wanted to feel free. So the population of my house has gone from five to two all of a sudden. I'm having a bit of a hard time adjusting to the volume of my cooking. I love cooking a lot of food for a lot of people. So my new year's resolution is to figure out cooking for two people meals without compromising on the variety of food that we are eating. I think maybe I just need to find a group of friends to share baking goods with too. Hi Dan, I am Asmita from India. I resolved to eat more chocolate in 2023 because I feel that chocolate gets vilified unnecessarily and 2022 has been a really hard year for me in terms of the emotional and physical transitions that I made. I moved from one country to another and um I had just gone through a breakup so it just it was very overwhelming and as I processed all of that and navigated my way through it was chocolate that stood by my side I just felt that I was eating something that gave me so much emotional support more than any person ever could so yeah 2023 is going to be any of more chocolate week Thank you so much, I'm and Asmita for those resolutions. And I think r- right now I'm going to grade myself on last year's resolution. I'll reveal my new resolution at the end of the show. But um, for 2022, my personal resolution, as you may recall, was to eat more yogurt. And uh, I, you, you guys, you sent in so many great recipes. I asked for suggestions, but honestly, you sent in so many good ones. It was kind of overwhelming. And then I also just kind of like, I lost my way on the yogurt resolution for the first half of the year. I just, I wasn't. Put, making it a priority. I didn't go out and buy it. At one point, I had some in the house that I put some Zatar in it, and that I, I didn't do it right. I don't know what I screwed up, but it wasn't good. Um, and I was really, I was kind of beating myself up about it. I mean, I, I, I had never, I've, I've done like a B plus was my lowest grade I ever gave myself. I was failing at my resolution to eat more yogurt until August hit, and we had a family trip to Israel. And as you may know, yogurt across the Middle East is easier to find. It's in a lot of dishes already, and it is fantastic on a whole other level. It is tangy in a way that you just, it's just very hard to find that tang with the yogurt in America. And like yogurt with like grilled fish, yogurt with calamari, yogurt at every breakfast buffet. There was just yogurt everywhere all the time. And I ate yogurt every single day. Okay, they're, they're fresh pita, yogurt, olive oil, za'atar. There it worked. It worked in Israel. It worked in the Middle East, okay? And I ate so much yogurt that I think just in that like 10 or 12 days, I got myself up to B plus. And since I came home, I've done a lot better. I talked to our friends Sola and Ham Elwali. I said, you got to give me a good yogurt brand because I can't find yogurt that tastes like that. They recommended one called White Mustache, which is very good. And I did that with like some za'atar and the olive oil at home and that, I nailed it, okay? So a- anyway, um, at the end of the year, I'm gonna give myself an A minus on the yogurt, A minus. Um, I-, I pulled it out um, and I recommend that you eat yogurt too because it's delicious. Right now, it's come to the point of the show where we replay one of our favorite episodes from the year. And this is not necessarily the most listened to episode or the one that got the most response. Typically, we, we like to pick a show at the end of the year that 
we really loved, those of us who work on the show, but that maybe we feel got a little overlooked. And the one that we're going to replay for you is my interview with comedian Jason Manzukis. And what I think we all loved about this show is, I mean, he is one of the most incredibly hilarious people you'll ever encounter. So, of course, the show is very funny. But also, he's a great storyteller, and he has spent his whole life with a severe, life-threatening allergy to eggs. And it has shaped his whole relationship with food in a way that was very interesting. And 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 he told some great and powerful stories about his experience with this allergy of the course of his life. So just this mixture of extreme hilarity and also great storytelling, I think, really made this conversation shine for all of us. And so we're excited now to share it with you once again. And I do want to say before we get started, this episode contains explicit language and mature content, and it comes up really quickly. In the start of the episode, so I'm just going to stall here a few more seconds just in case you're like, oh, God, no, kids in the car. You can turn it off. You can fast forward to the end, but there's going to be some profanity. Ready? Here we go. Quick point on the roast beef sandwiches. Yeah. To me, look, there's more than one great roast beef sandwich in the Boston area. Sure. Oh, yes. But if you are not griddling your buns in butter, then get the fuck out. I don't, are we allowed to say griddling your buns on this show? I, I'm just, <laughs> I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure that's cool. We are now. This is Sporkful After Dark. <laughs> <laughs> Today I'm talking with actor Jason Manzukis. You might know him from Parks and Rec, where he played the fragrance maker Dennis Feinstein. You guys ever been fox hunting? I have my own foxes flown in from Russia. We drug them pretty heavily. Makes it easier to just walk up and pow! (laughs) Stupid foxes. It's deeply erotic. Or maybe you recognize him from The Good Place. He was Janet's short-lived boyfriend, Derek. But I almost have a full-grown penis now. It's resplendent and mostly functional. He's also played Rafi in The League and currently voices Jay in Big Mouth and Alex in Close Enough. Jason tends to play characters that are a little out there. Oversexed, overconfident, exuberant, and yet somehow very lovable. Well, maybe not Dennis. Jason also co-hosts the podcast, How Did This Get Made? About the worst movies of all time. But as he told me, more than anything else, he is an improv comic. Doing shows is the thing I love the most. Like, And I love doing movies or TV or yeah, I love doing my podcast or, and whatnot. But improv gave me a safe place to truly just take leaps of faith. That's really exciting and electric and, and for me, quite freeing, you know, from what is otherwise a, a life that is pretty much based on routines and rigidity and vigilance. That rigidity, that vigilance that Jason's talking about, it all has to do with food. You see, Jason is allergic to eggs. I'll describe it to you the way I would describe it to, like, if I'm eating at a new restaurant, Right. I have a life-threatening food allergy to eggs. I can't eat anything that uses egg in the preparation at all. And that can mean trace elements that are from the cross-contamination of the kitchen itself. Can't put the something I'm eating in the same fryer that the crab cakes just came out of or whatever. What is your earliest memory of your egg allergy? It was discovered when I was, like, you know, a baby. Um, So I don't remember any of those times. But it was frequent that I would eat something and have to be taken to the hospital. And my earliest memory is probably I was at another kid's house, and the mom was trying to give us cookies. And I was trying to say, I I can't have cookies. 
the mom and I kind of were like going back and forth. And eventually, obviously, I was a little kid, so I ate the cookie and then had to be an ambulance had to be called and I had to go to the hospital. What, what, what was she saying? Was she like, no, you're oh, fine. You're you fine. Don't worry about it. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Listen, we're talking about a time when food allergies weren't thought about and weren't frankly like believed. I'll get it every once in a while now where, you know, I'll say in a restaurant like, can you find out from the kitchen if this has eggs in it, blah, blah, blah. I have this allergy, blah, blah, blah. And the person will be like, oh, I'm sure you'll be fine. <laughs> and I'll be like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't need you to be sure I'll be fine. I actually need you to talk to someone in the back and make sure this is safe, right. you know? Oh, my God. Um, and that's the kind of vibes that I grew up with a lot in, like, 70s Boston. Because in a lot of people's minds, they're picturing, is there a fried egg on this? No. Right. You know, they're not thinking, like, oh, is there egg in the bread that that sandwich comes with. Or was it cooked on something? That, Correct. Right, you know? Right, right, And so that's how I would get burned a lot. Jason grew up north of Boston, an area called the North Shore. North Shore is actually where my mom grew up, so my whole side of the family is from there. I spent a lot of time in that area. It's known for its roast beef sandwiches. My favorite place is Kelly's Roast Beef, one of the most iconic ones. But I was curious to hear Jason's go-to spot. We would go to um, Mino's famous roast beef in Marblehead, and that was, like, a big deal because we were going to go into, like, rival town territory, you know, where there would be a rumble. This is, like, sharks and jets type stuff. It literally, I was just going to say, it literally was, like, a rumble, like, West Side Story. But, it, it all, you know, it always started in that Boston way of, like, you got a fucking problem? Right. Hey, you got a fucking problem? You know? I'm partial to Kelly's because my family, when we would come from New Jersey up there to visit, we, there would always be a stop at Kelly's on the way to my grandmother's house in Marblehead uh, for lo lobster rolls and roast beef. Yeah. Um, my grandmother still remembered going to the um, boardwalk and an amusement yeah, oh, park yeah. there on Revere Beach when she was a little kid. Uh, you know, she's since passed away, but you know, it, it's now probably 80 or 90 years ago that she was there. Actually, it could be close to 100 years ago that she was there. And she still remembers the fact that her and her sister, her mother, my great-grandmother, would only let them get one hot dog to share. Ugh. And like a hundred years later, she was still bitter Ugh. about the fact that she couldn't get her own hot dog. Those food <laughs> grievances, those will stick yeah. with you. You know, yeah. that's like a real, when you are denied food or when you are, yeah. when your food is like, like controlled in that way, like that, you, that sticks with you. You remember that. Is there a specific food grievance from your childhood? You know, you remember? It, there's a food. Yeah, it's it, it, there is a bit of one. I was staunchly not allowed to have sugar cereals, like at all. It really upset me. It was like such a it, it was such a bummer. But anytime we went to my aunt's house, she would always like bring me into the kitchen, and in her pantry, she would have a box of honeycomb cereal, which is the sugar cereal that I had had and I liked. And then also she would wrap and give me a box of sugar cereal for Christmas <laughs> because that's that would be a way to smuggle it in that I would be able to have it. And that was also right. like, so there's like, it's a grievance, but the grievance also comes with kind of a wonderful story uh, about my aunt. It wasn't just sugar cereal that Jason couldn't have, of course. The egg allergy made almost every meal a challenge for him. As he said, growing up in the 70s, food allergies just weren't as commonly diagnosed. So it was a struggle to explain it to people, and it made him feel just really different from other kids. I didn't know anybody else who was allergic to anything. And 
as a result, I feel like my pediatrician's methodology for impressing upon me the reality that I needed to take my allergies seriously was fear. One year he told me a story. He was like, you know, it's it's too bad because you want to have uh, these things, ice cream, or you want to have pancakes, or you want to have these, you want to eat these things because they're, they're so good and they're so normal. He said, but I had a patient who was a little boy just like you, and he went to a pizza party, and he had an allergy just like yours, and that pizza had eggs in it. And when he ate the pizza, he died. Like as and I'm I'm like probably I don't know six years old five years old I mean like I was like a child so right. the the real kind of framing for me to understand the severity of my allergy was an awareness of my own mortality you know that every meal was an opportunity unless I was really careful and very vigilant every meal could end in like my death. And how, how did your parents deal with all this? I mean, they were great about it in terms of, like, keeping me safe and all of that. But it also was, I think, for them, quite scary. You know, I was very, it was very clear. Like, my mom would make my lunch and she would be very and impress upon me this idea of only eat what's in the bag. Do not trade. Do not buy. Do not get. You're not allowed, essentially, to eat anything except for what's inside this bag. It also applied to my birthday party. So, like, my birthday cake would inevitably be made with eggs. So everybody who came to the party would get my birthday cake, but I would have to eat something else. How did that feel? Uh, Super weird. You know, years and years and years later, I was walking in New York City, and I ran into a guy who who I grew up with, who I knew. And we weren't, like, super close friends, but we knew each other. So we hadn't been in contact since, you know, probably we, we left high school, 15, 20 years. And he goes, hey. Jason Manzukis, and I was like, "Oh, hey!" And he say he said his name, and and I was like, "Oh my God, what is this? We're running into each other on the street in New York, so strange." He goes, "Hey, I gotta ask you, are you still allergic to eggs?" And it was like, "Oh, clearly the most defining thing about me, from his point of view, was that I was allergic to eggs." Right. I mean, like there are worse things to have for to have been known for. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Like you, at least you weren't the kid who like ate his own poop in kindergarten. Yeah, exactly. You're the kid who went into the second grade closet <laughs> and peed in the teacher's boot. <laughs> True story. <laughs> Wait, you did that or someone else? No, did? I didn't do it. Dan, what do you think? I did that. I can't be both the egg allergy kid and the peas in the boot kid. That's too much. <laughs> Maybe you invented the egg allergy to cover for your boot peeing habit. That would be bold. <laughs> It's not a bad idea. That couldn't have been me. I'm allergic to eggs. Growing up, Jason would end up in the hospital with an allergic reaction about once a year. No matter how careful he was, accidents would happen. Like the time he was egged on Halloween and broke out in a rash. Even today, it's a constant issue. A couple years back, he went on a first date. No food, just a drink. But after he kissed his date goodnight, he started to feel a tickle in his throat. Turns out her drink had egg whites in it. I have a very complicated relationship to food. Food is, in many ways to me, first processed as a threat and has to be vetted uh, completely before I can proceed with it. The idea of, like, a sumptuous feast laid out before me and me just indulging is like so attractive, but my entire life 
before I can indulge in any feast, I have to have a full conversation with whoever prepared every element of that feast. Food is a source of great frustration for me. I love food. I love eating. I love being out to dinner with friends. I love being out in the world and, and, and trying new stuff. But all of it starts with a direct challenge to my mortality and, an, you know, a trust that I believe the people who are telling me I'm going to be okay eating this. But does that make it hard to enjoy food? Oh, yeah. I feel like people feel about the food the way that I feel about music or the way that I feel about movies. They have a passion and an indulgence. And, like, I feel very challenged by food. Like, a real breakthrough moment for me was hearing the artist Adrian Tomine on Fresh Air talking about his peanut allergy. And he was saying some version of... For kids with food allergies, they're not able to live a carefree childhood. No no child should grow up so acutely aware of and in charge of their own mortality. Jason says growing up this way, he felt like he was a boy made of glass. I don't know if it pushed me to be funny. I was like a funny kid, but I think being performatively funny was a way to be like... Look at me because I'm being funny, not because I'm the kid who is like... Not because I'm getting wheeled out on a stretcher. Yeah. And so I feel like there was a way that becoming funny made me the center of attention in a way that I could control. Right. And the peeing in the boots didn't work for you. You know, as many boots as I peed in, uh, (laughs) it never never seemed... Nobody got the joke. Coming up, Jason gets his first big break on TV and immediately ends up in the hospital. Then later, I offer him a therapeutic escape from his allergy. And you'll hear my New Year's food resolution for 2023. Stick around. Hope you're hungry, because it's time for some ads. In the Pashman household, we're already big fans of Tillamook shredded cheese. In fact, I used it in developing many recipes in my cookbook. And now I'm getting into their ice cream. Tillamook ice cream is made with more cream, so you get smooth and dreamy scoops each time. You may not realize it, but this is why a lot of the store-bought ice cream doesn't taste the same as what you get in, like, in an ice cream parlor. But with Tillamook, they don't skimp on the cream. These people know dairy, okay? Tillamook makes a great, rich vanilla ice cream with real crushed vanilla bean seeds. They have an Oregon strawberry, sweet strawberry ice cream with ripe Oregon strawberry pieces. The one that I really love is the mudslide flavor, a smooth chocolate ice cream with a ribbon of rich fudge and chocolatey chips. You want to move the spoon around to get fudgy and chocolatey chips and the ice cream all in the same bite each time, and it's just so, so nice. And like I said, I just trust Tillamook when it comes to dairy. They make over 200 different dairy products, and the brand is farmer-owned and led by dairy experts. Find Tillamook ice cream near you at Tillamook.com. That's T-I-L-L-A-M-O-O-K.com. The weather's warming up. Have you nailed down your summer travel plans yet? I can tell you, we're working on ours and things are booking up, which is why you should be thinking about Norwegian Cruise Line. They have been raising the standards of cruising for more than 55 years. Let me tell you, when you cruise with NCL, you get award-winning specialty restaurants, immersive entertainment, and the most thrilling experiences at sea. Now, look, one of the great things about cruises in general is that you can visit and explore all kinds of different destinations, all with the ease of unpacking your bag just once. But Norwegian Cruise Line 
They take cruising to another level and they take food to another level. With no set dining and entertainment times and no formal dress codes, you have the flexibility to design your ideal vacation. They have an incredible variety of truly authentic and fresh dining and bar experiences complemented by exceptional service. Listen to this. There are up to eight complimentary and nine specialty dining options per ship and up to 23 bar and lounge options. Come see why NCL's guest first philosophy means exceptional service and unforgettable memories. Book your next vacation at ncl.com. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast, they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyards has so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. They got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? They're wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate. I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold. Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. And hey, please take a minute right now and connect with our podcast in whatever app you're using to listen. It might be the follow button or the heart or the favorite or the subscribe or the plus sign. Whatever it is in your app, go to our show page and click it. And then you'll connect with our show and you won't miss future episodes. You can do it right now while you're listening. Thanks. All right, before we get back to Jason Mansukis, here are a few more resolutions from you, our listeners. Hi, this is Rebecca from Eagle Rock, California. And in 2023, I vowed to drink more green tea because according to the internet, it's going to erase my wrinkles, make me lose 10 pounds, and I'm going to live forever. Hi, Dan and the Spokeful team. Um, My name is Abba and I'm calling from London in England. My food resolution for 2023 is to eat more Ghanaian food. That's where my family is from. I tend to get lost in exploring the food of other cultures um, and eating more of that food than of the food I guess of my home quote unquote and I only generally go to it when I feel like I need to be comforted or for celebrations and I'd quite like to reincorporate it back into my everyday food just to maintain that connection with my heritage. Hi my name is Samuel Panettiere and I live in Connecticut and I'm five years old, and I resolve to eat carrots because they're good for me. Hi, my name is Shelby, and I live in Richmond, Virginia. My New Year's food resolution is to eat more mashed sweet potatoes. 
I just discovered the wonders of mashed sweet potatoes and now I'm in love and wondering why I haven't done this before. Um, they're so easy, so flavorful, and I can't get enough. Mmm, mashed sweet potatoes. That's a good one. I've been, you know, I'm really into the, the Japanese sweet potatoes, ones that are sort of more white inside. Roast those up, split them open like you would any baked potato, a lot of butter, a lot of flaky salt, and then a big squeeze of lime juice. That is an absolute home run for me right there. Oh, God, I want that right now. Anyway, let's get back now to Jason Manzukis. As Jason said, he was always a funny kid, but it took him a little while to turn that into a career. He left the Boston area to go to college, studied music, played in a bunch of bands. Then he got an ethnomusicology fellowship in North Africa, the Middle East. Being in countries where he didn't really speak the language was very stressful. The first French and Arabic words he learned were the ones he needed to explain his allergy. After a couple years there, he moved to New York City, and that's where he first started doing comedy. This was the late 90s, around the time Upright Citizens Brigade was starting up. That's the famous improv theater in New York and L.A., Jason joined an improv troupe and started performing there. It was like a really vibrant, really incredible kind of comedy scene. Improvising, getting on stage, being part of an ensemble. That is the thing I am most excited by, most engaged by. And it's also the place that I feel the most present. I, everything goes away and it's like I enter flow state. And it's really so satisfying and it's so fun. And doing a show for people that is improvised means... We're coming, we're getting on stage, and we're making up a full show right in front of your eyes that will never be done again. It sounds like a, part of it is that there's a level of focus and engagement that's almost meditative, probably. Yeah. But but then, like, it is the absolute opposite extreme of the way your egg allergy has pushed you to function in the world, which is nothing can happen without planning and discussion. Correct. In, in egg allergy world. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're absolutely but speaking in, right in, to it. In the world of improv, there's no planning and discussion. Correct. It's just immediate reaction, immediate moving. It's just live in the moment, listen, react, and that's it. There's something about that that is incredibly grounding for me. And in a way that you're talking about, like, I don't have to worry. I don't have to be concerned. I don't have to, like, be vigilant. I can just be free. And, 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 and it is my favorite thing. UCB became Jason's community. In addition to improv, he started writing and directing other people's shows. He took acting classes when he could. Eventually, a lot of his UCB friends started moving out to LA to do more film and TV work. After a couple years, Jason followed them. In 2010, he got his first major TV gig, a recurring role as Rafi on The League on FX. Rafi's kind of a side character, the brother-in-law of the main character played by Nick Kroll. Jason's first shoot for the show was in a hotel in Vegas. Day one went great. Day two. That morning, I went to Starbucks and grabbed a coffee and a um, granola yogurt fruit parfait, which had ingredients listed on the side that was, you know, I read and was safe. And so I had like two bites of the yogurt parfait and I was like, oh, something's weird. I get like a weird, almost ticklish sensation in the back of my throat, uh, which is usually the first sign that I've eaten eggs. And so I went back to the Starbucks and I said, I know this ingredient list doesn't say so, but is there any possibility there's egg in this yogurt, fruit, and granola? Which, again, seems preposterous. And right. the woman working there was like, I don't, I don't know. Let me see. We make it here in the kitchen of the casino. So she called down to the kitchen. 
Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, yeah, he says he has an egg allergy. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Okay, I'll tell him. Okay, thank you. And then she walked up to me and she said, the granola has egg whites. Oh, cut to, I'm being wheeled past all of my castmates on a gurney. Into, well, the, well, the, my castmates who are expecting me to join them to shoot a TV show. I literally am wheeled through production into a waiting ambulance and taken to the hospital for the next like seven hours. Um, and then have to return to set jacked up on drugs like crazy. I still needed to complete what I needed to shoot. Right, they have a schedule. They got to get their scenes for the day. Yes. Whenever they give me all the drugs, it's like hitting control, all delete on a computer. <laughs> so there is a whole series of scenes in the league where I have no recollection of having been there shooting them. I just, the only evidence I know is that it was on the film. I'm like, what? I don't remember doing that. I don't remember being in that room. Uh, imagine if like those are the best scenes you ever shot and that just like became your method. That, yeah. I developed a, a, a habit of like, I have to like right. eat an egg, go to the <laughs> right. hospital. This is the only way I can deliver a good performance. He's, He's really good, but the, the, his me the way he works is so difficult on a production. <laughs> yeah. He insists on being wheeled through the set right. on a gurney just to engender <laughs> sympathy from his castmates. Well, if you do an indie film, you could be like, look, just paint my tongue with some egg wash and shoot me with an EpiPen and I'll be ready to go. <laughs> and then give me a Benadryl. Let me nap for a little bit. It's not that surprising Jason could be hopped up on epinephrine and still nail the character of Rafi on the league because Rafi is loud, brash, and does every kind of stupid and irrational thing you could imagine. In one scene, Nick Kroll's character wants Rafi to pose as him and take his son to swim class. Okay, few rules. One, no smoking. Cigarettes or drugs? Both. Oh, come on. How long does this class even last? Like an hour. What? Two, no swearing. Oh, shit on me. Three, no knives. What if there's an attack? There's a bunch of children and mothers in a pool. That's exactly what I would attack. <laughs> As I said earlier, this style is a common theme with Jason's characters. He plays Jay on Big Mouth. It's an animated middle school sitcom full of graphic puberty humor. Jay is always running around yelling mostly about his sex pillow. As Derek on The Good Place, Jason played a brainless goofball who lacks any kind of self-awareness. In the recent series Pam and Tommy, Jason is the voice of Tommy Lee's penis. All these characters are the exact opposite of that boy made of glass. A lot of the characters I play are me exercising like a version of myself that is that does not have the weaknesses that I perceive myself to have. These are people who don't have weaknesses in their in their opinions. These are people who are, you know, like literally I think Rafi from the league probably thinks he's like immortal. You know, like it truly, I think right. he I don't think he thinks about himself as vulnerable in any way, shape or form. So I, I got an idea, Jason. I want to throw something at you. Go for it. As a person myself who loves food and like yeah. looks forward to every meal, like, oh, you yeah. know, like the second one meal is ending, I'm thinking ahead to the next day, you know, after dinner, what am I going to eat tomorrow? I feel bad for any person who doesn't get, for whatever reason, doesn't sure. get the same pleasure from food that I get. I wonder if there's a way for us to allow you to have that feeling even for a brief moment through improv. How do you mean? Well, what if we were to play a little improv game right now? Sure. Okay. We're at, we're at a restaurant. I'm going to be your server. 
I'm going to name a character. <laughs> okay. And you're going to be able to portray the part of that character, and that is a person who has no allergies to food, oh, and interesting. whatever they want. Okay. Okay, right. great. So, 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 you, so, so as an eater in this improv scene, you are totally free. Great. I love it. I love it. All right. You're a kindergarten teacher who's skipping class to go out to lunch. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Hi, how are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm uh, I'm playing hooky, you know. Um, oh, oh, really? What do you do? I teach kids, and, you know, today they were just... I went in my closet, there was a boot full of pee, <laughs> and I really, I had... Uh, I really, you know, I just am at my wit's end. You know, I really, these kids have pushed me to the limit. So I'm, you know, while they're doing an assembly, I decided to sneak away and get some ramen. That's, that makes a lot of sense because I, uh, I got kids too. And um, that's why I'm here. They don't even pay me. Um, I just come here to hang out. You work for free? Yeah. Yeah. Because I just okay, need to get, I, I need to get I, I don't, kids. listen, I don't want to tell you how to live your life. <laughs> okay. But you should not be working for free as a waiter. They let me have some ramen out in the back by the dumpster at the end of my shift. You're working for dumpster ramen? Do you have a family? I, yeah, I have I have four kids. Oh, you you can't be supporting four kids on dumpster ramen. You should ask them to pay you here at the ramen. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, like, uh, have you had a chance to look at our menu? What what are you in the mood for today? We got you know, a- I whatever you think is like the best ramen. I've never had ramen. It looks delicious. What is the uh, the ramen to get? Well, so I I like the ramen with the the thinly sliced pork on top. It's a big bowl of noodles, steaming Great. hot broth, full of uh. flavor, scallions, and then what I like to add to it is a nice egg. Yeah. No, that's why I mention it, because even though I'm not allergic to eggs at all, I've never had somehow a ramen with an egg. So I would love to. I well, would love to you try are this. in for a treat because what we do is we take the egg and, and after yeah. we, we slice it in half and the yolk Great. is like bright yellow and glistening, just a tiny bit runny. Even that description is giving me a tickle in the back of my throat. I can't <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Uh, yeah, great. I'll have one of those. And right. please, I, I beg of you, ask to be paid. <laughs> ask to be paid for your work. You should be paid not being paid in dumpster ramen. Respect All right. yourself. All right, I'm going to go talk to the manager right now while I put in your order. Great. Okay, talk to the manager. Come back. I like that you did an aside for talk to the manager. <laughs> Keep that in. Even though you could have just come back and said, here's your ramen, sir. I like that you looked to the side, just for the listeners. You looked to the side as if you had that conversation. Right. No, I I, I felt as if I did. Great edit, Dan. Great edit. (laughs) Here's your ramen, sir. Oh, so excited. This looks great. I'm also, like, so excited to have noodles. I'm not somebody who really much ever gets to have noodles like this. So this is, oh, Wow. Oh, this broth is so good. Wow. Mm. 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 That's delicious. Holy cow. Yeah. Holy and, cow. Like, that is absolutely delicious. Wow. I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad. This is exactly what I needed. You know, after I put my my left foot into a boot full of some kid's urine, uh, this is this is the this is this is the salve I needed for this day. Yeah. Well, eggs are powerful. They really are. They really are powerful, honestly, in many ways. <laughs> they are, they are, they have the power to give life and take it. <laughs> All right, end scene. 
Oh, that was wow. fantastic. <sighs> okay, I'm out of it now. Whew. How do you how do you feel now? Have you, I have feel you... like I have to do an EpiPen. <laughs> I, I was so committed to my character. I was so committed to my character that I actually felt like I, I'm having an allergic reaction. My mind convinced itself it had eaten eggs. Um, I want to skip back for a minute. I, I know that this is against the rules of improv, but I'm not an improv pro like you. And I, re- and I okay. realized that- I th- You want to like, go back? Well, I, I just want to go back because I don't know if it'll be obvious to all listeners that you were talking about the noodles because there's sometimes egg in the noodles. Oh, okay, sure. And so I, just, I think we should just like make one small reference to that because I think it will just pay off the Wait, arc of the in episode. in the scene? Just like you were already talking about- In the, the improv scene or in our conversation? In the improv scene. I just want to, I just want to be able to be oh, like- Oh, I see. Well, you know what makes our ramen noodles so good is that we add egg to the dough, and that adds this just special tooth-sinkable texture that's just fantastic. Okay. Well, here's what I'm going to say. Because that is antithetical to the entire principle of improv, I'm going to let us do it, but we have you can't put it in the scene. You have to put it here. Okay. <laughs> you have to keep it here like this. Okay. To like edit it- into the improv scene is literally against the entire principle of what I was saying I like about improv. You're right. I understand. I will not violate that code. That would be like walking out front of UCB and be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Everybody get back in. Get back in. I thought of a better joke. Yeah. Right. Can, can everybody go back to their seats, please? Right. Go back to your seats. Right. But no, right. let's do it. Let's do it right here. And, no, no, no. and but but keep it here. All right. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> so so talk again about how you're so excited to eat the noodles. Yeah, I'm really excited because like this broth is so aromatic and this egg was delicious. And I'm excited to, to get to get into these noodles. I rarely, I you know, I don't get noodles like this all the time. Well, you know what makes ramen noodles so good is that there's egg there in that batter, and that gives them an extra sort of like soft and chewiness that uh, that is unmistakable, and that's part of what makes ramen so delicious. Oh, hold on, I'll try them. Hmm. Ooh. Mm, yeah, that's delicious. Ooh, yeah, you can really taste the eggy kind of flavor, which is a flavor, of course, I know very well. Mm. <laughs> How do you think that living with this allergy for so long has affected you more broadly? I would imagine that living with a sort of constant low-grade fear of dying at any moment would have some effect. It, it makes me mistrustful of of the world and people. Not because they have malice towards me, but simply out of ignorance. Everybody else's life is, food is there to be eaten, enjoyed, and f- I, my relationship to it is so complicated, I want a guarantee. I want a guarantee that this is going to work out. That's how I approach life. That's how I approached a career in comedy. That's how I've approached interpersonal relationships. All of these things, I, I would say in a lot of ways, to the negative. Like, too uh, rigid. You know, you should be able to proceed forward with things with less than 100% guarantee of their certainty of working out. Because guess what? That's impossible. But I, I had a therapist once say, people aren't eggs. <laughs> people aren't going to kill you. They might disappoint you. They might let you down. Blah, blah, blah. People aren't eggs, you know? And that was like a real like, oh, yeah, 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 you're right. <laughs> right. Yeah, smart. So you, you talked about how, like, if, you, if you're going to go out to eat or if you're going to go to someone else's house for food, you know, it's this whole stressful production, a lot of questions, a lot of, you know, uh, vetting. But when people do take it seriously and the meal goes off without a hitch and you can tell that they went to great lengths to make sure of it, how does that feel? Oh, it's like the greatest. It's like, because sometimes people will be like, okay, Jason, those three dishes, don't eat that. 
But there have been a couple of occasions where people have been like, you can eat everything. Everything. I made sure everything is safe. And that is so generous and so kind and so thoughtful because, you know, I know that a lot of probably adjustments or a lot of thought had to go into making a meal completely egg-free and... I'm telling those people, you're in charge of keeping me alive tonight. And I know that that's a burden. It stresses people out. There is a way in which people taking care of me that way, that is love. The way that cooking food for people is itself a demonstration of love. There is an added element to when people make me food that is, I'm going to keep you alive. Don't worry about this dinner. You are safe. Just enjoy. That's actor and comedian Jason Manzukis. You can hear his voice on Star Trek Prodigy. He's also a co-host of the incredible podcast, How Did This Get Made? All right. It is time for me to reveal my New Year's food resolution for next year, 2023. Now... Over the summer, I was together with uh, the Sporkful crew. We were celebrating our James Beard Award win. Congratulations to us. Exciting year for the Sporkful. Thank you. And I was talking with Emma and Jared. I don't remember how we got on this topic, but we were talking about pepper, black pepper. And I was like, you know, I kind of think it's bullshit. Like, (laughs) you know, every recipe I follow tells you to put black pepper in. I'm always putting in. I I never taste it. What's it doing in there? What a waste. So... Then I went to this restaurant in New York called La Pecora Bianca, Italian place, and, and had cacio e pepe, which I've had cacio e pepe before, you know, cheese and pepper. But um, this just had like more pepper than other cacio e pepes, not just ground pepper, but whole peppercorns that had just sort of been like cracked in half, but were still big pieces of pepper on top. And it was so peppery, but also like, like a deep, earthy, smoky flavor that just absolutely rocked my world. And I was like, oh, this is what pepper is supposed to taste like. (laughs) Yes, I won two James Beard Awards before figuring out what pepper tastes like. (laughs) Um, So so that happened. And now, so this whole fall, I've been cooking a ton of, especially cooking a ton of pasta dishes because I'm working on a cookbook of pasta preparations and recipes, all shapes, not just cascatelli. I'll talk more about it down the road. It's not coming out until 2024, so we got time. But the point is I've been cooking a lot and also having to measure all the ingredients for the recipes. And so I, I'm, I, let's say I want to do like, you know, a half teaspoon of black pepper. So now I got to actually measure that out. In the past, whenever I looked at a recipe, if it said a quarter teaspoon black pepper, I would just take my pepper shaker, you know, shake, shake, like, ah, that's probably a quarter teaspoon. I'm not going to measure a quarter teaspoon, just whatever. That's probably it. Good enough. Now I'm measuring. <laughs> Turns out you have to like grind a pepper grinder a lot to get a quarter or a half of a teaspoon. It's like hard work. And it also now has been revealed to me that I have never put the correct amount of pepper into anything I have ever cooked until now. Like I I, I thought I was putting in a quarter, whatever, half teaspoon, whatever the recipe called for. I was probably putting in like a sixteenth of a teaspoon. And that's why I never thought that pepper tasted like anything. <laughs> 
Um, so that was a big revelation for me. And now in this cookbook, not only am I like every recipe, more pepper, I love pepper, but I'm also like, we're not just grinding the pepper. Let's, let's crush up the peppercorns and sprinkle those on top of a bunch of dishes. Let's get it like it was at that restaurant. Let's get it earthy and smoky. And I am just vibing on the pepper. So you can probably see where this is going. My New Year's food resolution. In 2023, I resolved to eat more black pepper. Yes, I'm going to put pepper in a lot of things. What I would love to hear from you is, what's a surprising use of pepper? Like, obviously, it's in sauces. It's in a million things. You know, it's in almost everything, it seems like. But, like, where's a place that I can use black pepper where I will really know it's there? but not an obvious use, one that I wouldn't have figured out on my own. Uh, clearly, I'm not able to figure out a whole lot when it comes to pepper on my own, so this seems like a low bar. That's what I want to hear from you. I would love to hear those suggestions. So drop me a line at hello at sporkful.com, and I can't wait. 2023 is the year of black pepper. Well, my friends, we will be back in three weeks. Our next show drops January 9th. In the meantime, we got some great episodes we did this fall. Check those out. Those will keep you company. Okay, scroll through the feed, find one you like, find one you missed, and make sure you connect with our show in the process. Click that plus or follow or heart or subscribe, whatever it is. But but I want to say thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening to our show, for interacting, for sharing, for emailing, for liking uh, on whatever social media you use, just for, you know, for, for being part of the show in whatever way you are, for coming out to our live events. It was great to meet so many of you this year at some of our events. So um, it means a lot to me and to the whole Sporkful team. So thank you. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year. And we'll talk to you January 9th. This show is produced by me, along with senior producer, Emma Morgenstern, and producers, Andres O'Hara, and Johanna Mayer. Our editor is Tracy Samuelson. Additional editing help from Fernanda Aguero. The show is mixed by Jared O'Connell. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Nora Ritchie, Eric Eddings, and Colin Anderson. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Lillian in Boston, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. This November, I'm going back to Italy, leading a food tour there, and I want to brush up on my Italian. And for that, I'm turning to Rosetta Stone. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. And for a very limited time, Sporkful listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com sporkful. That's half off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com sporkful today.